Welcome to Christian Curious with Dr. Haley Scott of Denver Seminary. What are the challenges we face in today's church and culture in a postmodern, post-Christian era? Dr. Haley believes that in addressing those issues, the church must adopt a missional mindset. Christianity does hold the answers to the big questions of today's culture. Let's join Dr. Haley for today's edition of Christian Curious. In the span of a single generation, it seems we have watched the towering walls of Christendom crumble into rubble all around us. 30 years ago, when I was a young girl in a small East Texas town, no one wondered whether anyone was Christian. Christianity didn't necessarily figure in our day-to-day conversations at school, but there was no need to whisper about God. Nobody was embarrassed to pray before a meal in a public restaurant. And the Baptist preacher had enough power to shut down a school dance with a single sermon. On Sundays, the whole town shuddered and everyone went to church, lest you hear about your absence on Monday morning. Today, the question of the Christian identity of our neighbors, colleagues, and fellow students is far less certain. In our home today in Littleton, uh, a place far admittedly removed from that small East Texas town, a regular topic of dinner conversation among our daughters is who among their friends are Christian and who are not. They love all of their friends, pray for them, and it brings them joy and surprise when they discover a friend is Christian. A Christian identity is no longer assumed, and many describe our culture as a post-Christian one. This is Dr. Haley with Christian Curious, where we aim to explore what it means to do ministry in a postmodern, post-Christian context. My guest today is doing on-the-ground work in that very context. Brianne Shaw, along with her husband Josh, planted Lighthouse Church in Denver, Colorado in the summer of 2015, along with 12 of their closest friends. Since then, Lighthouse Church outgrew a home, a warehouse, a high school, and now they are a fast-growing church in South Denver, a place where church attendance has declined or stagnated in recent years. Brianne studied Christian ministry and psychology at Tabor College in Hillsburg, Kansas, which catapulted her into a journey of nearly 10 years serving in various ministry settings. In addition to co-planting Lighthouse Church, she currently serves as the pastor of Assimilation and Young Adults and serves on the church's board of elders. She has a passion to see young adults fall in love with Jesus and is dedicated to empowering them and the local church to engage with one another in a way that can transform the world. Brianne, welcome. Thanks. Thanks for having me. In 2012, the Pew Forum on Religious Life, Religious and Public Life released a report detailing the rise of the nuns, the growing number of Americans who identify with no particular religion. The data says that America grows younger, America grows less religious. Yet in 2015, you were undaunted by that, uh, st- those statistics and launched a church in one of the most secular cities in the country. Can you describe the vision that motivated you? That's a great statistic, um, but it's also paired with this. I read this incredible book by Thomas Rainer called The uh, Unchurched Next Door, Tom Rainer. Mm-hmm. And uh, it basically says, it, it gave this data that the rise of the nuns is happening, but that scale of nuns is very different. So there's the scale of the atheist versus the scale of the unchurched and how that what that looks like. And it really opened my eyes to the fact that even though the nuns are rising, there's still a huge need for the gospel and people are still very receptive to the gospel. Um, and so I, ge- I came in with less fear, but I think I think more than anything, the mission and vision is that I came from the church. I watched so many of my friends 
walk away from Jesus and walk away from the church. And, and it was like, why is this happening? What is going on? And as Jesus gripped my heart and, and really gave me mission and vision that the, the church was the hope of the world, it just drove me to this place that people need, people who grew up in the church specifically need to know Jesus in a way that I felt like I had not been presented in, in my childhood years. Um, that mission and vision not only pulled me towards the unchurched or the nuns, but also really pulled me towards the people who had left the church. So, hey, like, I know you've seen it done this way for many years. You've had that Baptist preacher who could clear a dance floor, you mm-hmm. know. You've seen this, but this isn't all the church has to offer. This is not all that Jesus has to offer. And so let's maybe explore this in a different way um, and bring us back to what really the church is and what it's about and, and how we move forward in that. So. Yeah, you know, a few years ago, you know, before I I came became part of the Kaleo project, um, I did a focus group with a group of atheists and agnostics, and I would say that ninety five percent of those people had come from a churched background, right. and it was sort of like a rejection. Their unchurchedness was a rejection yep. of the way that they had learned about Jesus in their childhood. And some of the more damaging messages that that they may have picked up or some of the unwelcomeness. And we see that reflected in more in the statistics nationwide is that a lot of the people that are in church do have those church backgrounds. They have that church hurt, a term I'm not totally favorable with, but, you know, what else are you going to call it? Um, So what are some of the ways that you've tried to change the way you do ministry in order to to minister to those people? Um, I think the primary thing is authenticity. So we've talked about this at Kaleo, even just that authenticity is the currency of our culture. And one of the more damaging messages that my friends who grew up in church heard was that pastors and church leaders are perfect and yeah. that there is no failure and that there is no room for uh, anything to go wrong or, you know, and most of my friends were either elders or pastors' kids. And so they were very much in the life of of everything and felt like Mm -hmm. they were the second to the ministry so that the church was the first ministry of their parents and they were the second. Um, And so those damaging messages of, of not being vulnerable, not being authentic came across as, well, if this is what Jesus is, I don't want this. Um, And so one of the things that, that is a passion of my heart is that you can be broken and love Jesus and you can have issues and love Jesus and you can be a church leader and have issues and love Jesus and, if you don't expose those and share those in a way that's honoring, um, people are never going to, never going to grab a hold of that. They're never going to see that Jesus was just like us or that, you know, that standard of perfection has to fall. Um, and it really can't, it really can't be front. So we've done a, we've, we focused heavily on, um, showing our, our weaknesses from the stage in a way that is honorable in a way that has Mm -hmm. boundaries and, and, but also maintaining excellence. You can do both. And and I think that's what is maybe a conundrum, especially to an older generation. That was not a priority for them, uh, especially in the church world. Yeah, I think that that's been, you know, demonstrated throughout um, the leadership world is the the need for perfection, the need to put on the happy face, the need to put on that face of perfection. And I think that that's actually communicated to the congregants as well, to Mm -hmm. where the congregation feels like, Okay, I need if the leadership is doing this, then I need to do this. I need to have my best on it. If I'm not at my best, then something's wrong with me, or I'm a failure, or maybe I don't belong here at all. Yeah. 
And um, I've heard that before from, you know, I used to do a Bible study in downtown Denver to women felons. And, you know, at Bible study, they would laugh and say, you know, thank God we don't go to a white suburban church because everyone has to, you know, look like they have their act together. And God knows we don't have our act together. And so, you know, leading from the stage of, you know, I've heard you talk about the currency of authenticity of really, you know, showing, okay, you know, we have struggles, you know, and, but yet Jesus is good and he loves us and he's still able to work through our lives. I think that's a important message. So you also mentioned the scale of atheism and the scale of the unchurched. Can you yeah. talk a little bit about that and what the difference is between those? Yeah, um, honestly, it's been a while since I read the book, so I may get some things wrong, but Tom Rainer basically um, went and did a massive study on the unchurched, and he, he created the scale U1 to U5. Uh, U5 being hard atheist will... Uh, basically go at you if you try to share your faith, yeah. rejection, those kinds of things. You one being if they received an invitation at the church, um, they would come, they would receive Jesus. They're that they're that close to the gospel. Um, and basically gave the real scientific data, basically showing that I think it's like one in every 15 or 20 people is only a U5. It's that scarce that right. you would have that kind of a rejection. Most people are between a U1 to a U3. So there's this scale of saying, hey, even if I'm not churched, I might be close to Jesus. I might, I might be close to that reception of the gospel. Um, and for me, that really broke down a lot of fear and anxiety I had about going to the unchurched. Because it was like, not everybody's going to yell at me. Not everybody's going to reject me. In fact, a lot of people just want an invitation. Um, gave me some real tools and some real uh, terminology for how to reach the unchurched. I grew up in a very conservative bubble. And so I had just a, a real fear about unchurched people because I just it was, <laughs> it was unknown. Yeah. So um, it was it broke down a lot of walls for me and how to and how to reach and talk to unchurched people. I think that's a huge myth that you're you're busting right there is there is a fear among Christians to whereas to to not to hide their faith to, you know, maybe they're embarrassed by it. Maybe they're afraid to get lambasted by anyone or everyone on social media. Yeah. You know, even my eight-year-old daughter, I don't even know where she picks it up from, but, you know, she is embarrassed when we pray at a restaurant. Mm -hmm. And that is a strong message for her to pick up. Yep. And it's a pretty dangerous one. So I think that that's a really important myth that you're trying to bust there, you know, that, that people are still receptive to the gospel. Mm -hmm. And even those atheists, I think, you know, are receptive in ways that, that we might not anticipate. Mm -hmm. And sometimes I think that atheism is a bit closer to God than agnosticism, because in agnosticism, you say, I don't know if there is a God, but you kind of have an apathy about it. And in atheism, you're at least still engaging him. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, I've actually had recent, very recent conversations with some people that that um, I'm very close to that don't know Jesus. And they, they'll say all the time, like, I don't I don't want God. I don't like God. I don't even know if he exists, but I want what this community has to offer yes and it's like okay I, i'm happy with you owning up to that the honesty the vulnerability the authenticity mm -hmm. to even say that proves to me that you're open to the fact that jesus might be doing something in your life whether or not you want him right so you know i've heard the same thing where you know in a discussion with atheists you will they'll talk so poorly about christians about you know how hypocritical they are how they vote how you know, they have these stereotypes, how they're so judgmental. And then I say, okay, 
So tell me about the Christians that you know in your real life. You know, think about one specific person that you know. What do you think about them? And then that, they backtrack everything they said, and they agree that we're jealous of that person. They're kind, they're generous, they're nice, and they have a community they can go to every Sunday. And there is no one community for unbelief. And so that's another one of the stereotypes that, you know, that, that we think that all atheists may hate us. But if you're in their life, they don't really hate you. Yeah, for sure. So what would you say would be, was there a strategy or a particular philosophy that guided you and your husband when you started to launch Westside? Um, that's a good question. I, yeah, there were several. So uh, the first is that we knew we are both from Denver. Um, mm-hmm. uh, he's from the Springs, Fort Collins. And, and we knew when God called us to plant a church that Denver was where we were going. Um, and we started to do research. We started to go to churches throughout the city. I think it variously went to close to 50 churches in one year. And uh, we realized rather quickly that several things were not happening in the city. Um, one, pastors were not opening their Bibles. It was not, the, the word of God was not being preached. It was topical, which is, there's nothing wrong with topical, but the, the Bible itself was not being opened. Um, worship was a, uh, a consumer mentality. So mm-hmm. it was come, get what you want and leave. And community was lacking. So any church I went into, it was lucky if I had said hi to one person and if somebody even noticed I was there. And for me as a human, it was like, wow, this is, this is not really the church I see in the book of Acts. Um, yeah. The church I see is is community-centered and is working together on mission to change the world. And I, I just was not seeing a lot of that. There are pockets of great churches in, in Denver, but as a whole, it just was not great. Um, it was not encouraging at all. And so it just drove us, okay, okay, God, we know we're in Denver, so now what? Um, and we began to really look at pockets of the city, and there's, there's this reference called the Denver Donut. Mm-hmm. basically means... Uh, you get too tired of the city and you move to the circle around around the city. Right. It's called the Denver Donut. Uh, became the most fled to area in the last 20 years, and hence why traffic and all you know, all that stuff. Um, and so we said, okay, I think we need to be in the Denver Donut. And so started looking at all the areas: Aurora, Arvada, Wheat Ridge, Littleton, all of it. And God just really pulled us towards Lakewood. Um, mm-hmm. Didn't really know why at the time, and started looking at research and talking to the Lakewood pastors and. Um, we were told our first year that that Easter, it was 2015, out of a, a town of, I believe it's 180,000 people called Lakewood their home, uh, f- 20,000 people were in attendance on Easter Sunday. So on, wow. on the highest church day of the year, 20,000 out of 180,000 people called themselves church Christians on Easter Sunday. Now, obviously, we all know that data mm-hmm. skewed for Easter. So it just was like, whoa, there's a massive need here. Um and so we went in and going, okay, we're in Lakewood. We're going to be a community-driven church that opens our Bible and that worship is not a consumer thing. It's actually a response-driven thing like we see in Scripture. As Ezra opened the Word of God and the people of God responded to the Word of God. And so we've those are really values we've run with as we've moved forward. God has shifted some things for us. Um, we went in with certain criteria and, you know, God's like, no, 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 that's not really how I want this to go. Um, and one of those actually being community. So... Yeah. We set out as a community, but did not set out going, hey, this place is going to be a community for everybody. We set out more more in kind of the traditional church model, saying this is going to be a place of worship and a place of maybe kind of entertainment, if you want to call it that. 
Um, and God really quickly rewired our path and said, no, people need a home. And uh, we were, I was actually, it was a Cleo project. I was working through young adults and the mission and vision for young adults. And God really, this uh, tagline of be known and know Jesus mm -hmm. started to come up over and over again. That unless you're known in the context of a community, knowing Jesus doesn't do a whole lot for you. Right. And if you know Jesus without the context, it doesn't do a whole lot for you. A context of a community, it doesn't do a whole lot for you. So we started to hold these two things very highly that if we're, we're going to say, and we're going to believe that everything we do is through the lens of being known and knowing Jesus. And they yeah. cannot be separated. They have to be together. So when we look at new ministries, when we look at even young adults and how we move forward, everything is, does this bring us closer to being known and knowing Jesus? And if not, then we're probably not going to do it right now. Yeah, one of my husband's working on his demon at um, Denver Seminary, and this summer he read a book called for school called The Celtic Way of Evangelism. I don't know if you've read that or not, but he's like, I think you need to read this for you know learning how to do ministry in this in this culture. And the basically it comes down to the author is contrasting the Celtic way of evangelism versus the Roman way of evangelism, mm -hmm. and the Roman way of evangelism is know Jesus, then you'll be known and welcomed into our community. Well, the Celtics, that didn't work for them. And the Roman way of evangelism was not working for the missionaries. And a person started doing a type of evangelism where a person was welcomed into community, and then they may or may not get to know Jesus. And so it sounds like at Lighthouse, you're practicing a Celtic way of evangelism. Yeah, I didn't know it, but yes, <laughs> we have, I mean, we have people serving on teams. So, so two of our, our big being known pieces are serving on a team because we believe that pulls you into the family, just like Thanksgiving dinner, right? You're going to bring something to Thanksgiving dinner. So serving on a team and then joining our, our home group community meeting in homes throughout the week. And we have people serving on teams and in home groups that are not believers and are vocal about it, but are known and love Jesus or are known and love the community. And at that point, that's okay for us. So what draws a person who, who is an unbeliever to do that type of um, ministry, basically? Uh, personal invitation. So uh, my job title, actually, it's, it's, uh, it seems like a juxt juxtaposition at times. I'm, I'm in charge of assimilation, which is a fancy word for guest relationships, from mm -hmm. the time you pull into the parking lot till the time you're in a home group. That's my one area. And the other area is young adults. But what I found is they actually overlap in many ways. And it is that through my personal relationship, specifically with young adults, but just throughout the church as a whole, I tap on people's shoulders and I say, hey, I really believe you can add this to the family in this way. And I'm going to pull you into this with me. I'm going to invite you into my home for a home group. I'm going to, we always share meals for home groups. It's a, it's a people's walls come down when you eat together, right? right? And so it's through personal invitation that people get invited into these communities. My husband and I are um, avid CrossFitters. And I've often said that CrossFit is, is better community than church. Absolutely. So you I agree. miss one day at the gym. They call you like, where you been? How are you? What's going on in your life? And, and that was really a like, whoa, this is huge. We can't mm -hmm. have a CrossFit gym that is better community than church. And so one of the things we've done just as people to to maintain relationships with nonbelievers who work because people who work in ministry, that just doesn't happen often. Um, we are deeply and highly invested in our gym. And, and most people in our gym have now attended Lighthouse wow. in some form because they are already in relationship with us. They've already been in our home um, long before they ever stepped doors in a, stepped 
into the doors of our church. Um, and it, it begins with personal relationship. How mm-hmm. many Christians don't know non-believers? Like it's a staggeringly high number. Yeah. So, you know, I can attest to the CrossFit, you know, I used to call it the church of CrossFit yeah. because it does, it's structured like a church. I mean, you have, um, you have your wad, which is almost like a liturgy because it's practiced in various gyms or what CrossFit calls boxes across the nation. You have community because a lot of the people that go there, go there at the same time. You can count on them to be there. They're going to push you through tough workouts and they're going to see you on the other side and you can count on them to be there. And so that, that's so much like church. Yeah, and I think one of the things that we hear often in churches is that we don't want to call people to too high of commitments. And what I realize with CrossFit is people want to be called to a high commitment. People want this hard workout where we do it together as a team and we suffer through for the good of what? And it's right. like, okay, well, if that's how CrossFit model works, like why, why is the church shying away from this as being like a place of high calling where it's like, I'm going to call you into this team thing. I'm going to release you to do this with me and we're going to work hard together. And it may be tough and it may not be the best thing you've ever done, but you're going to come out the other side stronger in that discipleship process. And, and as we've seen people pull into that, it's like, whoa, the growth that is happening is, is insane. You know, I think that that, that may be one of the keys to Lighthouse's growth is that, you know, and that taps back into what your um, term that you use a lot is the currency of authenticity right. of saying, you know what? L- Christian life is not easy. It is not easy. You know, it is a, a difficult journey, but you know what? It's a worthwhile one. And we're going to be partner with you on this journey. Yeah. And just being able to say up front, yeah, it's hard. Mm-hmm. It's difficult. It's not going to have, you're not going to have all the answers and everything's in a tidy little bow. Yep for you. And that authenticity and vulnerability really attracts people, Mm -hmm. I think, especially the younger generation. Yeah. And surprisingly, the older generation, (laughs) we've had tons of old people say to us by old people, I mean, anybody over 60 uh, say to us, wow, like I've never been a part of a, a culture like this. And they are missing it too. And they're longing for it too. Yeah. So you Lighthouse Church attracts both old and young. It's not just a young church, even though it does pull from uh, Colorado Christian University. Yeah, and Mines. So in School of Mines. School of Mines. Both. In Golden, yep. Colorado. Mm-hmm. Yep. Um, oh yeah, we are. So uh, I would say forty percent over the age of fifty. Um, we are missing Gen Xers. Gen, we've seen a mass exodus of Gen Xers in the church, um, as you probably already know. Yeah. Um, and we're missing young families. Wow. Um, which I'm not hearing from other churches no. um, at all. Uh, but we are heavy on the 35 down, 35 to about 18, and then we're heavy on the 50 to about 75. I think you guys are tapping into a hole here because most of the churches in the Denver metro are attracting those young families, and they can't get who you're drawing. Yep. We have, uh, we've always had an oxymoron of data. We have about 40 children and 400 adults. And I hear so many people tell me that's a great problem to have. Right. <laughs> like, well, kind of, but it's a very odd problem to have in this city. So. Yeah. It, you know, that's really interesting. I, I would say that's part of the Denver donut. Maybe you are closer to the downtown where they tend to ha- have a high concentration of older and younger people. Yeah. Yeah. And moving to Southwest Denver, like we just did, uh, did change kind of, we're near that Harvey park area. So there, there might be some young families coming in the near future, but, um, yeah, I think that's definitely true. That's great. So, 
Um, in many ways, you're on the front line of ministry. A lot of our listeners may just be attending church and they may not be in leadership, um, but yet they're hearing all this discouraging data about right. the rise of the nuns and the unchurched and how people are hostile to Christianity. Turn on the news, you'll hear about it, especially in, you know, in the recent election cycle and probably in the upcoming one. So what type of encouragement could you give um, to our listeners about the way God is working today? Yeah, absolutely. Um, one of the things I hear all the time is this statement, the world is like going to hell in a handbasket, mm-hmm. like especially from the older generation. Oh man, it used to be, it used to be. And, and what I want to say is, do you know the next generation? Have, yeah. you, have you sat down and talked to them about their passion for Jesus? And have you heard what they long for and see? And, and if you start to ask those questions and stories, man, you are going to be encouraged. This next generation, the one now even, um, has more passion and vision to see the gospel of Jesus Christ reinvigorate society, I think, in a uh, bar none way that we've seen in, in maybe 100 plus years. Um, obviously, I can't speak to that from 100 years, but... Uh, yeah, I, I would just say sit down, have conversation, like get to know them, and, and, and you will be so encouraged that God is on the move, that real transformation is happening in people's lives, and there's so much hope. The gospel still is changing the world. Yeah, so get to know the story behind the statistics. Well, reports of the demise of Christianity have ricocheted around the world, but particularly in America, and it, um, it spawned articles, books, conferences, and qualitative longitudinal research studies that have sought to explain or discover the reason for this demise. But Lighthouse is just one of the many examples of the real story behind the headlines. God's still working. Jesus has not changed and people's need for him has not changed. You've been listening to Christian Curious with Dr. Haley. Thank you so much, Brianne, for joining me today. Thank you for having me. You can visit us online anytime at www.christiancurious.org. That's Christian Curious. .org. I love to hear from listeners. Email me at drhaley at christiancurious.org. Thank you so much. Thank you for listening to Christian Curious with Dr. Haley. You can contact her with your comments or questions about today's show at her email, drhaley at christiancurious.org. That's D-R-H-A-L-E-E at christiancurious.org. You may also learn more by visiting the Christian Curious website, christiancurious.org. Join Dr. Haley again next week for Christian Curious on AM 670 KLTT.